Amen. We start a brand new marriage and uh, family series this morning, putting the wow back in your vows. How's that sound to you? Thank you for your enthusiasm. Now I know you need this message series. Sure. You see, quality, quality marriages are foundational to healthy homes. And foundations are just what Jesus talked about. Foundations. Amen. Take your Bibles out. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Stand with me in respect and reverence to God's Word this morning. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse uh, 24 this morning. Amen. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the, field, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. What's the rock here? No, Jesus does not refer to himself as the rock here. Later on in the New Testament, the apostles do. But here... Jesus is saying that it's not in the hearing. I've got too many coming to church and their marriages and families are in trouble. They don't miss a Sunday. They're members, but their homes are about to fall. It's not in the hearing that Jesus is saying that is important. What's important is that you do what you hear. It's in the doing of his word. The doing of his word he likens to a rock, a solid foundation. Please note that. Jesus went on to say, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it fell. And great was its fall. My heart breaks every time I see a marriage, family, fall. I want you to notice the parallels here. Both Men were builders. Both were building homes, as you and I are. We're either building a life, a marriage, a family, all three. And both faiths faced storms. Both were confronted by trials, tribulations, tragedy. Notice that. What was the difference? The storms of life revealed what these men had built upon. The storms revealed the sum and the substance of their foundations. What are you building your life on? What are you building your marriage, your family upon? To put the wow back in your vows... I pray it's not sand. I pray your foundation is the title of this message. I pray the foundation of your life, your marriage, your family is like a rock. And that's not just a commercial from Chevrolet. Today's message, 
this morning's message, because I don't want anyone feeling like you're left out. Today's message is for those that would like to get married. They're planning on getting married. The, today's message is for those that are married and uh, for those who wish they weren't married. I believe I about covered it all. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we stand in honor to your spirit, your presence, your holiness, and especially to your word, I pray, God, that we will be doers and not just hearers of your holy word. Your word is life. It's transformative. Grant us life here this day. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. If you'd like to follow along with me, fill in the blank. The first foundational ingredient for a marriage that goes the distance and a healthy family is character. 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 Singles, it is more important to become the right person for marriage than it is to find Mr. or Miss Right. Do you hear me in this? The Bible reveals that the right person for marriage and family is the one whose character is marked by maturity. Let's go back to the master designer, the master architect of marriage. Jesus said this in Matthew 19.5, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Uh, I, I know we have some young people, young adults this morning that are thinking in their mind, Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with that, Jesus. I can't wait to leave my parents. I can't wait to move out and get married. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is giving the definition of maturity. The definition of maturity, leaving father and mother, is leaving immaturity behind. The definition that we are focusing on here this morning, God's holy word to you, couples and singles, is this. Grow up! Ever try taking a little toy away from a two-year-old? You're involved in a tug-of-war as that little two-year-old says, Mine! 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 And as I sit down with some couples, yeah, even in the church, what do I hear them saying across the counseling table? Mine! My way! My rights! My expectations! They owe me. The number one killer, the number one threat and enemy to any home and any marriage is selfishness. Selfishness is the first sin. Selfishness is at the core of every sin. Selfishness is at the core of every divorce. I want my way, my way or the highway. This sentiment, this spirit Note it with me, if you would. Selfishness, selfishness is a disease. Selfishness uh, is a, a malignancy. It's a cancer that will eat away, not just at your home and your marriage. It'll eat away at the core of your walk with God. Maturity is unselfishness. You're not ready for marriage until you're mature enough 
to identify the needs of your mate and then seek to fulfill the dreams, the desires, the hopes, the needs of your spouse. I'm talking about maturity. As we're growing up, when we're children, as long as we're at with home with mommy and daddy, we're independent. But if you choose to be married, if you choose to be a mother, father, husband, wife, you better learn to be interdependent. You better learn to be other-centered. You need to be unselfish, mature. You can spot the immature all the time when you hear these words, I'll love you if you remain good-looking. I love you if you perform in the bedroom. I love you if you bring home a fat paycheck. I love you if you're just like my daddy and provide for all of my needs and give me understanding, listening, and security. I love you if. That's conditional love. Many marriages I counsel are like what I term the, the tick and dog syndrome. The tick and dog syndrome. Every tick that's on a dog, every blood-sucking tick that infests a dog, that in biology is what we call a symbiotic relationship. That tick on a dog expects everything from the dog and contributes nothing. It's like young husbands that I talk to. Pastor, I was looking for a woman that could cook like mommy, make my bed and clean my house like mommy, mother my children like mommy, and then even go beyond mommy and make the bedroom come alive. That's the kind of woman that I expected and that I'm looking for. And at the same token, I hear from her, well, I was expecting a, a, a man to uh, provide for all of my needs and give me security and always have a listening ear and never miss a detail, understanding my, my deepest innermost needs and desires. What happens when we have two ticks and no dog? What happens when we have two bloodsuckers that come together in a marriage and they come knocking on Pastor Hal or Pastor Chris Dorr? <laughs> we need help! Let me just say this. Let me get away from the sermon right now. Guys, don't come to us just before you go to the attorney. I'm sick and tired of emergency room treatment. I delight in preventative health care. I'll just tell you right now, Pastor Hal and I and Pastor Randy, uh, when we do marital counseling, we rarely, 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 outside of a divine intervention, a miracle from God, emergency room treatment, usually, it's too late. 
That's why you need to be in church. You need to be under God's Word. In just a few weeks, we're going to start Wednesday night classes. That's where you need to be receiving instruction, growing and being nurtured in the Word of God. Don't come to me for emergency room treatment. Then I find out you've hardly been in church. Capiche? Little pastoral pet peeve there. Real love, Paul penned it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, love is very patient. I'm talking about real love that keeps loving the unlovely and the unloving. Real love is kind. That's love with muscles. I watched my grandfather for four years live with my step-grandmother and it got to the point that he even did her diapers for her. That's real love. Love that has, that has action behind it. Love is never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Do a, 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 a love check right now in your home. Do a love check in your marriage right now. Is your love operating in this fashion? Is it exercised in this manner? Miracle marriages are only possible where selfishness is overcome on a consistent basis. If you detect a malady, a malignant, a cancer of selfishness in your home and in your marriage right now. Ask Jesus to cleanse it, confess it, repent from it. And not only repent of it with Jesus, true repentance is going to your mate, going to your family member and saying, I have been selfish. Forgive me. I admit it. Help me in this area. In the name of Jesus, I crucify this selfishness to the cross. And I pledge to you that I'm going to go on a quest, a quest of intimacy to discern uh, your needs, uh, your desires, your hopes, and your dreams. I want to live my life to fulfill you and to make you happy. I want to grow old with you. That's how miracle marriages are made. No one is beyond hope. God is the author of resurrection. He did it for Lazarus. He can do it for your marriage. Let Philippians chapter 2 rule your life. Paul said, don't be selfish. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't just think about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and in what they are doing. Your attitude should be the kind that was shown us by Jesus Christ. If you don't know what to do, if you don't know how to act and react in your marriage, ask yourself, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Character. It's the sum and substance of our thoughts, our words, our behavior. Character. I always think of this maxim. Watch your thoughts, for they become your words. Choose your words, for they become your actions. Consider your actions, for they become your habits. Study your habits, for they become your character. Develop your character, for it ultimately becomes your destiny. Another ingredient which makes a family's foundation like a rock is compatibility. 
compatibility. Oh, I love watching engaged couples come in my office. It was just yesterday I remembered Jason Han and, and Mary Han coming in my office as engaged couples. Or Steve and Lydia Addy. And I can count so many of you out here. It just seems like yesterday for me. I know I haven't changed at all. And they come in. And they sit on my couch. And you can't get a piece of paper between them. And they're giggling. And you're trying to give them these profound principles of marriage. And they're not hearing a word you're saying. Yeah, and they're, they were so in love. And love will conquer everything. Love will survive. Our, isn't there a song like that? Our love will survive. Yeah. And then I'm not talking, I'm not talking, I'm not talking about Mary and, and Jason or Steve and Lydia right now. Then these hypothetical couples, they come back a year later. You can't even get them to sit on a couch. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, they're not talking to one another. And, and I'll ask them, okay, what was it that initially attracted you then that caused the two of you to fall in love? He says, well, you know, I thought she was really good looking, attractive, sexy. She'll say, well, he made me laugh. He listened to me. He was completely unlike my father, and I wanted to get out from under my father. I wanted somebody different than my father. Now I want somebody just like my dad to take care of me. What initially attracted now distracts. Let me uh, make all singles, all those preparing uh, and planning on getting married again, let me just give you this uh, uh, word. Uh, singles, singles are adept at wearing masks when they go out on a date. They wear masks when they're courting, and they leave the real person at home. <laughs> And then you get married, and you wake up and say, Oh my God, who am I married? Who is this stranger here? Are you with me in this? Please be aware. Marital compatibility is a congenial, agreeable, harmonious, unifying marital relationship. I mean, you fit together. Compatibility is fitting together like a hand in a glove. What's the most important compatibility factor when you're seeking a mate? What's the most important? I mean, eHarmony.com, Match.com, Christian Mingle. I mean, all of these computer programs and personality profiling is all about compatibility, the selection process. Well, you need to hear from the Word of the Lord. What is the most important criterion in choosing a mate? And I'm hearing it out there. 
Are they a born-again Christ follower? I'm not just talking about going to church. Are they a born-again Christ follower? Hear ye the word of the Lord. This is not my word. Let's hear God's word on this. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Don't be teamed with those who don't love the Lord. Period. Period. Well, pastor, I feel that I've been called to be a missionary to go on missionary dating. It's okay if they're an unbeliever because I'm going to win them to the Lord. Honey, sir, ma'am, every marriage begins with one date. Every date that you go on is important. And God is watching. God is listening. Who you date, who you go with, who you court, who you are engaged to and who you ultimately marry tells us not more about them, tells us an awful lot about you and your choices. Don't be teamed with those who do not love the Lord. For what do the people of God have in common with the people of sin? How can light live with darkness? And what harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a Christian be a partner with one who doesn't believe? But pastor, dad, don't you understand? After I marry them, I will change him or her. Honey, sir, ma'am, the only person that can change people is God. 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 How many, how many courting, dating couples, you see the idiosyncrasies, you see uh, the negatives in that person, and in the back of your mind, and don't think that this is just teenagers. Man, I've got people in midlife that they see the problematic issues in that person that they're courting, they're dating. In the back of their mind, I'll change them once I marry them. No, you won't. You only have power over self. And then you need God's help in the process. You need to review are they a born-again Christian, a Christ follower? They don't wear Jesus just as a label. But they're an actual Christ follower. Do they come from the same religious tradition that you come from? Thank God for the miracles in this church. But when it comes to advising our children, when it comes to advising you, single adult, look for someone that has a similar religious background that you have been brought up with, that you worship in. Listen, what this church believes and practices is not what all churches believe and practice. And you will discover the difference once children come and all of a sudden the in-laws of the other faith say, are you going to baptize them to the church? They're not born again until those babies are water baptized. Are they born again? 
are they of a similar religious tradition and background beliefs to reduce friction and tension in the home? Are they, are, are they of a similar values background, family background? Who, who, what pattern do we follow the most once we get married? Whose example and model do we follow the most once we get married? Pastor Phil's? Our parents. Whether it's good, bad, or ugly. You will default in your parenting and in your marriage lifestyle to how your parents operated. Whether it was good, bad, or ugly. That's why you need the power of God's Word to filter and to eat the meat and spit out the bones of what you were brought up with. But even so, that's why pastor recommends marry someone that was brought up with a similar family background as yourself to reduce the friction, the tension in the home. We're speaking of compatibility here. Born again, similar religious background, similar family background, similar values, similar ways of approaching economics. However, the most crucial test of compatibility comes when decisions and direction for the home is to be made. How will the husband and wife function as a team? How will they operate as father and mother? What's their job description? If you don't know your job description as you get married, you will give a formula for compatibility disaster. Who leads the home? Who makes the decisions? Who follows? What are the responsibilities? Who is supposed to submit to who in a marriage? Who is supposed to submit to who in a marriage? I'm asking that question bunch of scaredy cats. <laughs> what does the Bible say on who, despite what our culture says, who is supposed to submit to who in a marriage? God help us. We're talking about unity in the home, unity in a marriage, and we can't even have unity here in the church. That's why, that's why we don't go by feelings, we don't go by logic, we go by the word of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5, 21. Ephesians 5, 21. Honor Christ by submitting to each other. There it is. There it is. There it is. I diffuse the feminazi fuse. Right there. She is not solely to submit to me or me to her, we're just, the Bible, I won't take the time to read all of Ephesians 5 here, the Bible is teaching us mutual submission. It is the form of submission that you take to your spouse that is different. She is to submit to the husband by encouraging his leadership, making him feel like a man. How many men at Valentine's Day, you just can't wait to get candy, cards, and flowers? And that just, you know, that just melts your butter. That just turns your crank. Huh? 
I'll be talking about the differences in a moment here between the sexes. No, what does a man need? Ephesians 5 hits it on the head. A man needs respect. A man loves it. A man loves... This guy's having a spiritual experience right down here right now. A man loves it when his wife says, thank you for the hard work that you do. Thank you for how you provide for our own. Thank you for how you protect us as a family. A man feels like a man. He squares his shoulders. He lifts his head up high. Hallelujah. When he has a wife like that, he's not looking for ooey-gooey romance. He's looking for respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Respect. <laughs> what does she need? She needs love. She needs affection. She needs a tender embrace. She needs to hear the hubby say, you are the fulfillment of my dreams. You are the answer to my prayers. Life without you would be meaningless. You are my best friend. I want to grow old with you. Compatibility. Compatibility. We're talking about compatibility. What's the number one thing in compatibility? Born again. Is that person that you're dating right now, that person that you're courting right now, are they born again? Are they truly a Christ follower? Are they a true Christian? It's not enough to wear the name tag Christian. Are they under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Is he behind the steering wheel of their lives? That person that you're dating and courting right now, do they have a similar family background? Or will there be complete tension once the honeymoon is over because there's such opposites there? The person that you're dating right now, do they have the same religious background and religious tradition that you've been brought up with? If you've been brought up here at Lakeside Assembly of God, you've been brought up with the full gospel. Not just a slice of the gospel, but the full gospel. We've attempted to give you the full loaf. We believe all the Bible is of God, and we want to practice the whole word of God. Do they believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, for example? Are they are the same cultural, religious, traditional background? Because we default to the way we were raised by our father, our mother, and there will be tension in the home when all of a sudden you wake up and realize what initially attracted me because they were so different from mom and dad now distracts me and disgusts me. Is there compatibility in their roles as husband and wife? God has called the man to be the leader. The man is to follow his wife's need and not her lead. Adam followed Eve's lead and there was disaster. Abraham followed Sarah's lead and there was disaster. Everywhere in the Bible where a man follows, the husband follows the wife's lead instead of her innermost need, there's disaster, there's defeat, there's death. You show me a home where the man is not allowed to lead that home 
And I'll show you an unhappy home. I've never seen a happy home where the man is not allowed to be the head of the home and to lead that home. Respect him. Admire him. Thank him. Hobby, God has called you to love your wife as Christ loves the church. How far did Christ go in loving the church? Huh? He died. For, take him out and shoot him then. No. <laughs> he died for the church. Jesus so loved us, he laid down his life for us. Does that mean that she's to follow his leadership all the time, but uh, he just has to be willing to take the bullet if the bullet comes? No. That means that he is called by God to die to what he wants on a daily basis. Die to selfish desires. Die to self-directedness. Die to self-centeredness. He is to wrap his whole life around her. He needs to be on a quest of intimacy and identifying her needs, identifying her desires, and to fulfill her happiness. Hallelujah. Women, if you've got a man that is out there to fulfill your happiness, to, to be able to meet your deepest, innermost desires, to adore you and to give you a loving affection, do you have any problem following that kind of leadership? God has put a beautiful compatibility, balance, and check system in place called the Bible marriage. It's found in Ephesians chapter 5. Do you hear it? Will you obey it? Will you live it? Husbands, will you be sensitive to your wife's needs? We got one man that will. <laughs> Reminds me of Mr. Milk Toast of a husband. Oh, he was a namby pamby, limp wristed, emotional amoeba. In marriage, when it comes to loving romance and affection, he'd become a romantic slug. And his wife, in due process, in not receiving love, real love, had become pale, anemic, sickly. So, as what happens so often, he brought his wife to the pastor. And the pastor, after extensive counseling and diagnosing the problem of an unromantic husband, He told the husband, all your wife needs is some TLC, some romance, cards, flowers. Uh, she needs a tender embrace, affection. The man stood there, the husband stood I don't know what you mean. I don't know what you mean, Pastor. Pastor got exasperated and, and, and leaped from around the desk, grabbed the wife, slung her down, and planted a big kiss right on her lips. Picked her up. It was like new vitality. Color came to her, her cheeks. And the husband uh, looked at the, the pastor, and the pastor said to the husband, just like that. The husband said, okay, I'll bring her in every Tuesday and every Thursday. For the sake of the video and for the sake of any guests here this morning, that is not my counseling method whatsoever. I don't subscribe to that. 
That was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> Wives have no problem. Men, following your leadership and making you feel like a real man. And you have not reached your fulfillment, your totality as a real man until you enter this dimension of marriage. Don't wait for her to admire you. You adore her and leave it with God. You stop trying to change him, women. Let God change him. Well, my husband, I don't know about making him a leader. He doesn't make good decisions. He married you, didn't he? You leave it with God. Do what you are called to do by God's word. Obey. Give it and do it as unto the Lord. The Lord will never let you down. And then watch the miracle marriage develop. Watch God resurrect the marriage. Next point, write it down if you would. These three points are the most fulfilling ones that we want to focus on. Be considerate of one another. Being considerate of one another will make your marital foundation like a rock. That word considerate, would you write next to it, sensitivity, understanding. Would you write that down? Empathy, being considerate of one another. A man went to a garage sale and he found this old brass lamp. And it was dull and it was tarnished and he started wiping it and all of a sudden, a genie appears. And the genie said, I am here to grant you your fondest wish. The man said, I've never been to Hawaii, and I'd like to go to Hawaii. I live here in California, and if you can make a highway to Hawaii, that would suit me just fine. I'm afraid of flying. Would you build me a highway from Los Angeles to Hawaii? That would suit me just fine. The genie said, you do not understand the logistical implications of this, the engineering, the, 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 the feasibility of this task is beyond compare. The enormity, it's impossible. The man thought for a moment and said, well, then give me the capability, the capacity to understand women, to discern their moods, their feelings, to be in touch with their emotions, to have a listening ear. The genie said, did you want that highway to be a two-lane or a, a four-lane highway? Are you considerate of your spouse? Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. And all the men of Lakeside would say, And I will make him a helper comparable or in compatibility to him. See, it's so important for us to consult the master designer, the master architect. Circle those words, comparable, and especially circle the word helper. Or in your Bible, it might say, help meet. Now, right away, the feminists, 
mean a woman's a helper. The feminazis, oh, what do you mean about helpmate? Well, this shows your ignorance when it comes to the Hebrew language. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. The Hebrew word for helper or helpmeet can be defined this way, assisting to reach complete fulfillment. Without the woman, a man is incomplete. And all the women would say, it is the woman that God has designed and refined. If man was made from dirt and woman was made second, that means she is doubly refined. First time God dealt with a rough draft, she's the masterpiece called by God to bring totality, wholeness, completeness to the man. I want you to note here in Genesis 2, did God create a clone of Adam? Did God create a Steve? He made an Eve. And... And for the mature audience out there, not only did God design the physical anatomy of male and female to be perfectly compatible and fit, but when you study and focus on how God has created us, male and female, psychologically, we also beautifully fit. That's why the LGBT lifestyle is so under the judgment of God because it is a blasphemy against the created order. It's rebellion at its heart. It's more than a, a, a disorder. It's more than immoral. Adultery is immoral. But it is the sinful use of a natural function. Please understand that. LGBT is rebellion against the created order of God. It's blasphemy. God created woman. W-O means out of. Out of man. Out of Adam's rib. Little girl came home from Sunday school. Dad said, what did they teach you in Sunday school? How God made the first woman Eve. What did they tell you, uh, Susie? Well, uh, uh, God made Adam fall asleep, took out his brains, and then made a woman. You can tell it's a holiday weekend. Pastor's being a little lighter this morning. Man is incomplete. He's like an incomplete jigsaw puzzle. The woman is the missing piece. If you don't believe that there are, are, are differences between men and women, it shows, again, your biological, uh, physiological, psychological ignorance. Women have a greater constitutional vitality than men. That's why, on average, they live four to five years longer than us men. The sexes differ in metabolism. A woman's being, uh, metabolism is lower than a man. A woman's skeletal uh, framework uh, uh, is far different than a man. A, a woman has a shorter head, shorter legs, and a longer trunk. Look at your hands right now. 
The first finger of a woman's hand is usually longer than her third finger. With men, the reverse is true. Women have larger stomachs, livers, kidneys, and smaller lungs. In functions, women have several very important ones that are totally lacking in a man. A woman has menstruation, pregnancy, lactation. All of these influence her behavior and her feelings. Wise is the man. Wise is the husband. Wise is the father that has daughters that understands that every month there will be days of wine and roses and there will be days of thunder and lightning. Not just physiological differences, but psychological, hormonal differences. For instance, the man comes home from work, opens the door, she's standing there poised, wearing something sexy, clenching a rose between her teeth, and the bedroom comes alive. Next, and he goes to back to work the next day and, and thinks, I'm going to go back to Walmart and buy more of that cologne. <laughs> I mean, that cologne is doing the stuff. I'm going to buy more of that cologne. So comes home with his Walmart cologne and she's nowhere to be found. <laughs> not in the living room, not in the kitchen. He goes, there she is sitting in a dark corner of the family room. There in the shadows, and she's crying. He says, why? why are you crying? I don't know. And he says, let Honey Bear take you to the bedroom, and I'll wipe those tears away. All you want me for is my body, you animal. Oh, stop. Some of you are looking at me so super spiritual. Get a life. If God talked about sex in the Bible, your pastor can talk about it. There's differences between men and women. In addition uh, to the physiological differences, uh, there are differences in the brain, the mind. Dr. Nobel uh, Sperry uh, writes that boy babies, boy babies in comparison to uh, girl babies, I'm talking about unborn babies. Did you realize that boy babies, while they're being developed within the womb, there is a chemical that is released that slows down the development of their right brain? The right side of their brain. It's the right side of the brain that is for nurture, love, care, feelings. It's the left side of the brain that is logical, problem solution oriented. And in baby boys, it's a known fact the right side of the brain 
is not fully de developed. That's right. Men are born brain damaged. <laughs> this is why we react differently in different ways. It, this was highly noted with uh, the assassination of President uh, uh, John F. Kennedy. Right away, men across the, the country, what was the first thing that came to men's minds? Who's in control of the government? Who's in control of the economy? Who's in control of our armed forces, our nuclear forces? How did the women react? Oh, Jackie, the children. This was highly surveyed, highly noted. Research bears it all out. That's right. There are differences between the sexes. Wise is the spouse that understands the differences. I'll get on the phone with my son, Jonathan, who pastors and lives in Southern California. I'll catch up with him, and I'll be on the phone for an hour. And then my wife, Becky, asks, what? Did, I mean, it's the question that just every man just dies when he hears this question. What did the two of you talk about? And I'm a trained counselor. <laughs> He's all right. He's doing just fine. <laughs> I ask her the same question. And I will get the hour-long conversation regurgitated. Detail after detail after detail after detail. Am I right? Our culture, our gender-bending culture, wants to make us homogenous, wants to make us clones. But God's Word bears out. Science bears out. Physiological research, psychological research bears out that we're different. And with the French, I say, Viva la différence! I love the difference. How about you? Man, I wouldn't want to be married to somebody just like me. Physically, emotionally, psychologically. I love the difference. Now, hear what God, listen to the word of the Lord. This is not my word. This is God's word. 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3. Husbands, and you could also put in here wives, because the principle holds for both. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate. There it is. Circle that word. Underscore it. Highlight it. Be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Hubby, if you don't treat your wife right, God won't hear your prayers. That means you're hopeless. You better be aware of how you treat your wife. You better be aware of how you treat your husband. Be considerate of how God has made them uniquely different. Fulfill those needs. Number four, strong marital and family foundations are like a rock because of committed love. Storms often batter marriages, but storms can often make marriages stronger. 
stronger. Tragedy can bring us together stronger. So what is it that breaks couples up? It's the small stuff. Reminds me of the hiker who walked from California to New York City. And they asked him, what was the toughest part of your journey? He said it wasn't the deserts, it wasn't the, the, the mountains or the rivers. It was the sand that kept getting in my shoes. The Bible says it's the little foxes that spoil the grapes. Do you often find that when you and your spouse have had a spat, a, a, a fight, a quarrel? Do you often look back and say, that was so stupid? It was little stuff that caused the big blow up. So stupid. Little foxes that spoil the grapes. You know, before you were married, opposites attract. After, opposites that you find in yourselves irritate. His sloppiness. He doesn't make the bed. He just throws his clothes on the floor. He, lifts, he, he leaves the toilet seat up all the time. It drives her insane. And with him, it's her spending habits. With her, with her it, it, it's uh, his insensitivity. With him, it's her spending habits. With her, it's his unromantic attitude, his lack of empathy, his lack of caring, his lack of listening. With him, it's her spending habits. It's the little irritants, the little foxes that begin to pile up and pile up and beware of the deceptiveness of the gradual. And before you know it, you're in divorce court. Yes, I know that working through is harder than walking out, but it's worth the effort. It's worth the effort. This, yes, there's times that your marriage will hit a dry spell. Love will go on a recession. But the basic problem today is that we view marriage with escape clauses. We view holy vows like till death do us part as a mere formality, as conditional. I want you to be reminded that commitment is at the core of the Christian wedding ceremony. There's an unseen guest that is at that service. There's an unseen witness at every marriage ceremony. There's an unseen heavenly priest that unites that couple in holy marriage. And that unseen one is God. God. Don't forget it. Those vows are holy. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 6, Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. At all possible, keep your vows. Maybe your spouse doesn't deserve it, but God does. Your marriage is more than a legal contract or license. It is a spiritual covenant made with a holy God. And God is watching. And God will hold you accountable. Yes, I know that some of you are, are going through a tough time. You're going through a terrible time with your mate. Uh, but work it out. Pray it out. Tough it out. Marriage isn't for sissies. You believe for a marathon marriage. You believe for a miracle marriage. Hang in there. Give the glory to God. Hallelujah.
What God hath put together, let no man put asunder. As our keyboardist comes this morning, the final ingredient for a miracle marriage is Christ-centeredness. Paul brings out that there's three kinds of people, three kinds of marriages in the world today. I've given you Scripture on all three. There's the unbelieving marriage. There's the Christ-centered marriage, which has the mind of Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians 3, there is the carnal Christian marriage. Christ is in the home, but he doesn't have the run of the house. They're members of the church. They sit in the pew. A picture of Jesus hangs on the wall, but they are not Christ followers. They are not under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is not behind the steering wheel of that marriage and that family. Christ-centeredness is where Jesus is controlling the walk and the talk of that home. Hear me in this. Christ-controlled marriages never, ever divorce. True born-again Christians, Christ followers, never, ever divorce. When there's a divorce in this church, I'll tell you what's happened. One or both spouses have gotten away from God. Selfishness is ruling, and Jesus is not upon the throne of their heart. When Jesus is upon the throne of your heart, you will always forgive. You will always say, I'm sorry. You will always say, I love you. You hear me in this? What God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. I read this letter recently. I want you to read it with me, with no names. My husband recently left me after 15 years. We had a great physical, emotional, intellectual relationship. But something was missing. We hadn't committed our lives to Jesus. And we had no spiritual bond between us. Please tell young couples, there will always be a void in marriage, in their lives without Christ. A good marriage must have its foundation in Him in order to experience lasting love, peace, and joy. Since my husband walked out on me, I've tried to rebuild my relationship with God. I'm now growing steadily in my walk with the Lord. But I am alone. Stand with me. This might seem like kids' church, or it might seem like it's new age, but bear with me. Can you do something fun with me right now? Could you take your fingers and form a triangle? Can you form a triangle? Put God at the top, at the apex of the triangle. Would you do that? That's where God is. Husband, you're down in the bottom corner. Wife, you're in the opposite bottom corner. What happens in the relationship between the husband and wife 
as they each grow closer to God, what happens in their relationship? Huh? As you move your thumbs up towards the apex, what happens to the relationship between husband and wife? As they get closer to God, they get closer to one another. That might sound simplistic to you, but you always have your fingers, and it's something that you'll always remember. Maybe you need to stop solving your problems. Maybe you need to stop going to counseling. Though, I recommend both. Maybe you need to start by getting closer to Jesus. Maybe Jesus is not steering the direction of your heart and your life. If you have your family here this morning, if you have your spouse here this morning, if you have a significant other that you're planning to marry this morning, we might have some engagements take place right before us here. If you have family, if you have a spouse here this morning, hold their hand right now. Hold your children's hand as well. That's right. Precious Jesus. Again, this message was for those that are planning to get married, those who are married, and those that wish they weren't married. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm not going to embarrass you. But the Lord knows if you need spiritual surgery in your home, in your marriage. The Lord knows if you need a healing of your heart. I want you to pray for one another. If you have no one to hold hands with, then women, look for a woman around you that has nobody. Join hands with them. Men, look for a man around you that has nobody. Dads, moms, adopt somebody. Go ahead, hold their hand. That's right. I don't want anybody to feel alone. I'm going to pray right now and we'll let you go. I know it's a holiday weekend. I'm going to pray, but don't let me just pray. While I'm praying, I want you to pray for your spouse. I want you to pray for your children. I want you to pray for the heartache that's in this church right now, in marriages and families. I want you to pray for spouses that are not walking with God. I want you to believe for a miracle, a miracle marriage, a marathon marriage that'll go the distance. Are you ready? Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we hold the hand of our loved one. We hold the hand, O oh Lord, of our children, our mate, O oh God. We hold the hand right now of that one that we pray for. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray, God, blessing, protection. I pray, O oh God, that you would be in charge of their heart, that they would be Christ-controlled. Lord, we pray for a Christ-centered marriage. Lord, go before them and make the crooked places straight. Lord, heal any cancerous sin, selfishness that might be eating away at the harmony, the compatibility, the congeniality of the home. 
God, give us understanding hearts. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for our selfishness. Forgive us for acting like a tick on a dog. Lord, I pray, God, that we would seek to fulfill the other, that we would meet their needs. God, give us, Lord, the passion to make them happy in you. Help us men, O oh Lord, to be the spiritual leaders of our homes, the priests of our families, the pace setters, O oh God. Help us to lead, O oh God, not by word, but also by example. And Lord, I pray right now for the women, for the men that are here this morning and their spouses are unsaved. Their spouses are away from you. The marriage is on the rocks. God, wrap your sweet arms of love round about them. Hold them close. Lord, you're the lover of their soul. You are their husband. You are their wife. Lord, you are their lover that will never let them down. Now, God, we pray the grace of the Father, the love of the Son, Christ Jesus, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit upon one and all. In the name of Jesus, we receive this, and we believe it. And everyone would say, Amen. Husbands and wives, you're invited to give it and seal it with a kiss.